Is vaginal seeding ready for prime time? The concept of vaginal seeding is gaining speed in the press, and many moms wonder, is the practice right for me? And more importantly, is it safe for my baby? The interest in vaginal seeding does reflect a really interesting and promising shift in our collective mindset regarding birth and the importance of the microbiome on children's health. Mothers are waking up to the fact that their children's health is suffering and that it's time we do something about it. From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, on health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. The human body is home to trillions of microbial organisms, bacteria, viruses, and fungi, collectively known as the human microbiome. In the digestive tract, bacterial residents outnumber our own cells by at least 10 to 1. Gut bacteria play a fundamental role in human health by promoting intestinal homeostasis, stimulating development of the immune and nervous systems, protecting against pathogens, and contributing to the processing of nutrients and the harvesting of energy in the form of nutrition. The disruption of the gut microbiota has been linked to an increasing number of chronic diseases. Yet only recently has infant microbiome health begun to receive research attention, despite the fact that modern birth practices may be upsetting nature's intended balance in significant ways and impacting an important early window of opportunity when microbial colonization has a potentially critical impact on human health and disease. As a doctor, I deeply appreciate the indispensable, life-saving contributions of Western medicine, such as cesarean sections and antibiotics. They're examples that, for many women, help us avoid the largely preventable tragedy of maternal mortality, which, according to the World Health Organization, remains unacceptably high in developing countries where access to procedures like cesareans and appropriate pharmaceuticals like antibiotics are too often limited or entirely unavailable. And now I have a but to add here. Did you see it coming? Because as life-saving and indispensable as some medical procedures are, that doesn't mean they're not overused and even when done properly can have unintended consequences, sometimes wide-scale, long-term ones. All animal studies to date show us that the complex world of our gut microbiome with its many symbiotic communities of microorganisms, plays an important and enormous role in human development across multiple body systems, from our skin and our gut, to our immunologic, metabolic, neurologic, and even our cognitive health. Even our stress capacity, resilience, and emotional responses may be tied to microbiome development. The foundational development of the gut microbiome is highly influenced 
by what is referred to as mode of delivery, or in common parlance, how we give birth, in particular, whether vaginally or by cesarean section, and affects our development across all of these parameters, not only immediately, but potentially for a lifetime. This episode is a complex one to share because it's absolutely not meant to shame or frighten or dispute any woman's need to, or even personal decision to, have a cesarean section as her mode of birth, nor to suggest that having a cesarean or receiving antibiotics for any reason in labor is all gloom and doom for infant and child microbiome development. Nor are these always accompanied by long-term health or medical adverse consequences. However, it is intended to raise awareness about the need for changes in an obstetric system that has been unequivocally demonstrated to inherently lead to the overuse of interventions in labor, including and perhaps especially cesarean section, through a deeper exploration of the potential consequences and to raise awareness of the subtle but significant importance of a healthy gut microbiome in the overall optimal development of multiple and interconnected systems in our children. The Paradox of Unintended Consequences Antibiotic use and cesarean sections are prime examples of practices that, while life-saving when used appropriately, have both been widely overused in recent decades and do cause consequences that we're facing now. The rate of cesarean section delivery, as I talked about in a recent interview with Dr. Marlene Temmermans, in the United States has increased by 60% since 1996 and now accounts for more than 30% of all births and is increasing globally, now exceeding 60% of all births in some countries. While sometimes absolutely necessary and indicated, cesareans are also associated with increased risk of maternal infection, hemorrhage, and even death and has led obstetric societies in the United States like ACOG to seek strategies for reducing what currently sits at a 34% national average cesarean section rate. For the record, the World Health Organization, WHO, has stated that cesarean section is likely necessary in only 10 to 15% of births, but recommends no more than 15% of births by cesarean section for best maternal and neonatal safety outcomes and suggests that over 19% actually leads to diminishing benefits for mom and baby and increasing unnecessary risks. One of the problems with cesareans, aside from the very obvious fact that it's a major surgery carrying risk of infection and requiring weeks of recovery, is that babies are delivered abdominally bypassing the bacterial-rich environment of the maternal birth canal. Now, you might be thinking, whew, well, that sounds gross anyway. Actually, though, missing that exit ramp means that baby also misses skin and oral inoculation with important organisms such as lactobacillus, bifidobacterium, prevotella, bacteroides, escherichia, and shigella which have been identified in healthy vaginal and fecal samples from adult mothers. These organisms and others that are still being identified are intimately involved in training the innate immune system of the infant, leading to healthy immune system development, 
colonization of the baby's own gut and skin with flora that prevent infection, stimulating development of neurologic function, and a host of other related developmental functions. On a very basic level, some of these organisms even allow baby to tolerate ingestion of mother's milk. In fact, organisms like lactobacillus and bifidobacterium have been referred to as milk bacteria. So why does all this matter? To date, more than 20 studies have found that the microbiome in cesarean-born babies is different than that of vaginally born infants. These differences may persist to through the fourth year of life. And even when transient, these differences impact microbiome development during early life critical periods of immune and metabolic programming. Antibiotic resistance is another significant and related issue, primarily a result of antibiotic overprescribing, along with overuse in the meat industry, not just to keep animals infection free, but to cause more rapid weight gain due to its metabolism inhibiting effects, which I talk about in my article and podcast on antibiotic overprescribing and its risks. Prior to COVID, antibiotic overprescribing and antibiotic resistance was considered the largest global public health crisis we were facing and remains in the top three, along with infections like COVID and the increased rates of non-infectious chronic illnesses. What's the connection to cesarean section and infant microbiome? Cesarean section in the United States are always accompanied by routine administration to mom of antibiotics at the onset of surgery to prevent infection. Women undergoing cesarean section in the U.S. have a 5 to 20 times greater chance of getting an infection from birth compared with women who give birth vaginally. As a side note, this is really important to know that not all countries use prophylactic antibiotics for every cesarean section, and their rates of cesarean birth infections are actually not higher. In fact, some of those countries, they're lower. As research has been emerging on the importance of the human microbiome on our health, so too has research emerged on the potentially deleterious impacts of early antibiotic exposure and or cesarean section, which go hand in hand, as I've mentioned, on the long-term health of our children. Babies, birth, and their microbiome. Those babies that were born by C-section that were seeded acquire and were colonized by vaginal bacteria, more like vaginally born babies are. C-section babies, to our surprise, even, even right at the seconds of birth, when you swab their skin, their mouth, they already have bacteria, which we know, we think, and we have evidence that uh, are skin bacteria floating in the operating room. We have evidence that we can normalize the microbiota of babies that are born by C-section if they are exposed to vaginal bacteria, vaginal fluids. During the vaginal birth process, and even beginning prenatally, a topic for another podcast, the emerging infant is meant to be exposed across his or her skin, 
by organisms found in the mother's vaginal canal as well as the perianal region. At birth, multiple body regions of the baby are inoculated with these organisms, and baby also inhales and ingests them, simultaneously seeding, if you will, the mucosal surfaces and digestive system with pioneer organisms. These organisms then multiply and adapt to their various locations on and in the newborn's body, partly mimicking the mother's microbiome, such that the baby's facial microbiome becomes similar to the mom's. The baby's underarm microbiome becomes similar to the mom's. The baby's groin microbiome, gut microbiome, etc., becomes similar to the mom's. And baby is also forming the foundation of his or her own unique microbial signatures. The past four decades have brought with them a dramatic rise in cesarean section rates, which has coincided with increases in childhood chronic immune diseases, including allergies and obesity, type 1 diabetes, asthma, Crohn's disease, and celiac disease. And it's thought that other autoimmune diseases, including juvenile arthritis and certain immunodeficiencies, are related. Studies have demonstrated that cesarean birth is associated with an increased susceptibility to the development of these chronic health conditions and that babies born by cesarean have a greater lifetime risk of certain chronic diseases. We know that disruption of the microbiota during maturation by low-dose antibiotic exposure and cesarean can alter host metabolism and increase the risk of adiposity. Remember, I mentioned earlier giving animals in the meat industry antibiotics to make them gain weight faster. Even transient perturbations in the gut microbiota at an early age may be sufficient to induce sustained negative effects on body composition and may enhance the negative impact of a standard American high-fat diet on obesity. Further, neuroendocrine abnormalities, including cognitive and behavioral disorders, have also been associated with early microbiome disruption, possibly due to systemic, immunologic, and inflammatory effects in combination with the fact that the microbiome influences the integrity of something called the blood-brain barrier, which is a membrane barrier that prevents certain blood components from crossing into the brain circulation, and which when they do, when that barrier is disrupted, can allow inflammatory and immunologic components to enter past that blood-brain barrier and impact neurologic development. Additional conditions are associated with this early perturbation of natural colonization of the infant with the maternal microbiome at the time of birth. Early antibiotic exposure, or yikes, as so commonly happens, both. In other words, we're starting to uncover that vaginal birth possesses health advantages that cesareans miss out on. And it has been hypothesized that one of these conditions is the difference in exposure to maternal vaginal microbiome that is not present during cesarean birth. Most of these shifts and potentially resultant conditions seem to evolve from immunologic underpinnings secondary to early microbiome disruption. 
ongoing research from preeminent perinatal microbiome researcher, Gloria Maria Dominguez-Bello, and now many others following in her research footsteps, show that the natural transmission and colonization of maternal microbes is impaired by delivery via cesarean section. I know this is scary, and you might be freaking out hearing this stuff, especially if you had a cesarean section. And you might be thinking, I don't want to hear this. Or Dr. Aviva, what if I didn't have a choice but to birth by cesarean? I hear you and I feel that pain. Again, this is not about mom blaming or mom shaming. I've wheeled moms into the OR for a cesarean. I have lifted babies into the world abdominally. It's frustrating to hear this information and hard not to blame ourselves because we live in a culture that blames the mom as if we don't do that enough to ourselves. If you did birth by cesarean, whether out of necessity or whether on reflection you now think it's not, it is really important to remember that you made that choice because you were doing the best thing that you knew that you could do at the time to take care of your baby. This is not about judging. This is not about worrying about the effects on your baby's health. And it's not about shaming. It's about exploring the impact of modern obstetrics on our health and on the health of our children, exploring possible solutions while letting go of judgment and guilt so we can focus on what really matters. How can we support our children's health and that of our future generations? And it's also about recognizing that even if your little one does develop a common modern health symptom or condition, many of which have escalated in rates over the past 30 years, that this is not something you did. It's not your fault. And there are factors that have happened beyond your control in our environment, in our world, in our medical model. And you may have actually needed that. So the comparison of some microbiome changes that there are ways that you could adjust, which is what we're going to dedicate the rest of our time to, to the fact that you needed that cesarean for your life-saving or your baby's life-saving is so is small. So again, no beating up on yourself. And I have some really great news to share. Researchers and microbiologists like Dr. Dominguez-Bello, whom I had the pleasure of interviewing for my podcast, whose voice you heard in a snippet, who you can listen to in our podcast on supporting baby's microbiome after birth, are exploring solutions to help increase the health outcomes for mothers and babies who do need a cesarean through a technique called vaginal seeding. And I'm going to share additional tips with you. While research into the practice of vaginal seeding is new and in the early stages, it does hold great promise for the future health of our children. If you're curious about vaginal seeding and whether it's safe and recommended for you and your baby, whether you're pregnant yourself or are a provider who is taking care of pregnant mamas and want to make sure that you know how to make recommendations on vaginal seeding and other options, listen on for what you need to know. What is vaginal seeding? Vaginal seeding, in very simple terms, is swabbing baby with vaginal fluids following a cesarean section to inoculate baby with maternal microflora from the vaginal canal. How's it done? 
Prior to birth, a sterile gauze is folded and inserted into the vagina and left to incubate by soaking up beneficial vaginal microbiota for about an hour. Subsequently, immediately at birth, the newborn is swabbed with the gauze on the lips, mouth, nose, eyelids, face, and moving over the rest of the body, the skin is swabbed for about 15 seconds or so before proceeding on to other newborn care. In a landmark but very small pilot series of seven vaginal-born, seven cesarean section-born, and four cesarean section-born babies conducted by Dominguez Bello and colleagues, the microbiome of infants in whom vaginal seeding was done post-C-section resembled that of vaginally delivered infants, especially in skin and anal samples taken from the baby for 30 days after birth. The procedure is quite simple, but there are important guidelines to follow to avoid potential risks, which I cover in a minute. And importantly, this is not yet recommended as a self-help practice at this time. A subsequent study, also done by Dominguez Bello and her team, used comparative DNA analysis methods to assess the types, variety, and locations of microorganism colonization after vaginal seeding, and demonstrated that vaginal seeding did result in partial restoration of the baby's microbiome. However, we still don't yet know whether this partial restitution of these naturally occurring organisms will have a long-term impact on baby's health. Larger, longer-term studies are urgently needed to assess this. To share just how important maternal colonization of the infant microbiome has been recognized to be, a couple of new, very small studies have even begun to look at the impact of maternal newborn fecal transplant as a medical means of reversing early microbiome disruption by restoring gut colonization with the mother's flora and has been preliminarily shown to be successful. This, however, is definitely not something that should be tried at home under any circumstances. Is vaginal seeding ready for prime time? The concept of vaginal seeding is gaining speed in the press, and many moms wonder, is the practice right for me? And more importantly, is it safe for my baby? So far, as pointed out by the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG, and Dominguez Bello herself, the number, size of samples, and duration of studies does not suggest that vaginal seeding is ready for prime time, meaning we should just start doing it in the hospitals routinely or just start doing it in the privacy of our postpartum rooms when we're with our babies. What's more, the pilot study involved only women who were not carriers of group B strep, had no signs of bacterial vaginosis, BV, and had a vaginal pH of less than 4.5. In other words, we don't have solid data yet on the possible risks associated with vaginal seeding in the general public with any and all of our vaginal flora. The question is then, could the potential benefits of vaginal seeding still outweigh the possible risks despite the early stage of research? The main concern with vaginal seeding is inadvertently spreading undiagnosed or known infections in the mother like groupie strep, chlamydia, gonorrhea, 
human papillomavirus, HPV, group A strep, herpes, BV, and others to the newborn, which could result in serious neonatal infection in otherwise healthy babies that was avoided through cesarean. While vaginal seeding is not yet recommended outside of formal research protocols because data is still limited, Dr. Domingos Bello does state in my podcast interview with her, Restoring Baby's Microbiome After Birth, that the practice of vaginal seeding with proper testing beforehand for infections in mom and supervision by a qualified birth practitioner, such as a CNM, OB, or family physician, is likely quite safe and simply exposes baby to what she or he would have been exposed to in any way had the birth occurred vaginally. That being said, I agree with Dr. Dominguez-Bello and other physicians and scientists who recommend waiting until more evidence is available before commonly practiced vaginal seeding. And all of us agree that pregnant women should be tested for GBS, HIV, Hep B, and Hep C, and a VDRL panel should all be negative, including making sure there's no genital herpes present before proceeding with it. Several larger studies are underway now. The interest in vaginal seeding, and of course, the fecal microbiome transplant as well, does reflect a really interesting and promising shift in our collective mindset regarding birth and the importance of the microbiome on children's health. Mothers are waking up to the fact that their children's health is suffering and that it's time we do something about it. Widespread allergies, food intolerances, eczema, asthma, autoimmune diseases, diabetes, obesity, I've certainly seen the rise in health concerns in children in the last decades, both as a midwife, a doctor, a mom, and a grandmom. So until more research is completed and vaginal seeding becomes standard, if you do decide to do it, work with your healthcare provider, do it transparently, and make sure all the proper testing is done. If you're not ready for that, if you're waiting for prime time, which is what I recommend, and you want to protect your baby's microbiome right from the start, even if you didn't need a cesarean, here are my personal recommendations. Supporting the newborn microbiome. Reduce unnecessary cesareans. One of the best ways to support your baby's microbiome right from the start is to avoid unnecessary cesareans. This includes allowing more time for labor to progress in the active phase, along with working with a midwife and doula, and of course, educating yourself about birth in every way you can. Listen to my On Health podcast episode with Neil Shaw to learn more about unnecessary cesareans. Listen to my podcast with Dr. Marlene Temmermans if you haven't already. And make sure to join the Mama Pathway, which is not your average childbirth education program, and it's guided and created by me. Breastfeed, at least for the first few months. Numerous studies demonstrate the benefits of breastfeeding, which we now recognize is the next phase in the continuum of baby receiving healthy doses of mom's microbiome, transmitted both through the breast milk itself with its own microbiota, numerous other immunoglobulins and immune factors that come in the breast milk and that support further development of a healthy infant gut, and also via the skin around the nipple, which has its own important microbiome that adds to the benefits of breastfeeding for baby. While the World Health Organization recommends an ideal length of two years for breastfeeding, even just breastfeeding for those first few months, if that's all you can do, can play a significant role in supporting your baby's microbial, gut, immunologic, and metabolic health. 
practice attachment parenting. It's not just gut microflora that get seeded when we're taking care of our newborns. As I mentioned, baby's microbiome starts to mimic and match mom's microbiome. Starting at birth with skin-to-skin contact, continuing with breastfeeding, ideally through the first year or two of life with no solids until at least six months, or baby shows social readiness for food, like reaches out for foods that you're eating and wants to put things in his or her mouth, extend lots of cuddles with skin-to-skin, co-sleeping if you can, taking baths with your baby. All of this encourages transfer of beneficial bacteria to baby and gets us closer to what nature intended. Consider a probiotic. While not all practitioners agree on the value of using probiotics in infants, preliminary research does suggest that giving probiotics to babies born by cesarean could lead to health benefits later in life. While researchers haven't yet confirmed whether boosting a healthy baby's gut with beneficial bacteria could lead to a lower incidence of disease, the hope is that supporting diversity of bacteria might help prevent conditions like allergies and autoimmune disease. Probiotics are a perfect example of an option that offers little risk and many possible health benefits. And some additional studies have shown that mama taking them during the third trimester of pregnancy may actually prove beneficial to babies born by cesarean in offsetting and preventing some of these conditions downstream. So in my medical practice, I do encourage mamas to take a probiotic, a broad probiotic, especially including lactobacillus and bifidobacterium strains during the third trimester. And if baby is born by cesarean in my medical practice, you have to choose what you feel comfortable doing. And of course, talk with your care providers. But I do encourage mama to dilute a little bit of an infant probiotic in some breast milk and give that to baby via dropper with breast milk. So you're not diluting it in water or anything else. You're just giving it directly to baby. And you could do that if you're not breastfeeding and you're formula feeding, you can dilute a little bit of the probiotic in formula and give it to baby that way. And of course, talk with your pediatrician or your family doctor, whoever's taking care of your baby with you just to get the A-OK and make sure it's safe for your baby, if your baby has immunodeficiency or is preterm, then you might want to make sure that you're using certain organisms that are optimal and safe for your baby. Get dirty. As soon as your baby is able to sit up and play, encourage your little one to get dirty in clean, natural, safe outdoor spaces. While we've come to culturally equate dirt with unclean, We've also missed out on really important exposures to soil microbiota that also inoculate us and prime a healthy immune system. When my kids were little, we'd go to the playground for playdates when we were homeschooling. And I was always amazed that all the mamas would just like be really kind of freaking out after their kids were playing in in the dirt and playing in the sandbox and playing on the monkey bars. You know, we have to wash your hands before you eat. And yes, cleanliness is important and good. However, we can go to an extreme of hygiene where we are creating almost sterile-like environments for our kids where they're not getting these outdoor exposures. Interestingly for me, I had horrible allergies 
until I was 15 years old. And at that point, I changed my diet, kind of went au natural on things. And my allergies remarkably also resolved. My brother had terrible asthma. My father has asthma and allergies. My mom has autoimmunity. And on my husband's side, my brother-in-law had asthma. My husband had allergies. And none of my four kids developed those. And well, sure, it may be coincidence, I really do attribute to the fact that my kids played outdoors, we had pets, they were exposed to natural environments, all things that have been associated with a reduced rate of allergies, asthma, and eczema. So as much as you can get your kids into those environments and get in them yourself, um, one time my kids and I got so muddy at a playground that I actually had to take my baby home naked in a backpack because I had to strip the mud off of her before I can carry home. And we had to get, my son and I, we had to get into the shower with our clothes on. We were that muddy, but it was just one of those really fun, memorable, it started pouring while we were at the playground. You know, just getting in nature with your kids is so helpful on so many levels. Okay. So what about vaginal seeding? Talk with your provider and stay tuned for more research. If vaginal seeding is something you want to try, have a comprehensive discussion with a medical provider you trust and can rely on to help you assess whether it's safe for your baby and your situation. Share not just this podcast episode, but the article that goes with it at avivaram.com forward vaginal seeding after birth, because it includes extensive current references. Make sure to get thorough testing for all the possible infections I've mentioned and anything else that you might need to get tested for that could be present and communicated through vaginal fluids. And above all, don't feel pressured to try it because it's trendy. Again, it's still in early stages of research. Take care of you. A healthy mama is at the core of supporting the health of your baby's microbiome. So remember, also restore your own microbiome after a cesarean or if you've had antibiotics in labor for a group B strep or any other reason. With probiotic-rich foods like fermented vegetables and yogurt, take a probiotic if that's something you wanna try and give yourself time to recover, allowing for self-care and rest. This is important for your well-being, but also important for your skin flora, for not developing thrush on your nipples and having painful breastfeeding experience, etc. Doing our best and forgiving ourselves. As I talk about in the accompanying article and podcast to this one, protecting your baby's microbiome from the start, we aren't to blame for the many factors that have led to the massive overuse of medications and surgeries. And for some time to come, in addition to the necessary and life-saving cesareans that are performed, many women are still going to continue to experience unnecessary surgeries as we slowly make shifts in a system with entrenched misguided practices, and sometimes an antibiotic will be necessary. The best thing we can do is to be educated, have the tools we need to, whenever possible, to identify and avoid unnecessary obstetric interventions, and continue to do what we can both via research and common sense practices to help nature restore what may have been disrupted. And ultimately, forgive yourself. If you did have a cesarean, take an antibiotic or give your baby one. First off, it may have been absolutely necessary, but even if you're now not so sure it was, you still did it with the best intention for your baby. You're 
a good mom. As Maya Angelou so famously said, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. See you next time on On Health. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time.